Hello everybody, in this episode I am speaking with Mr. Nomad Numbers. We're doing a quick recap of how life has evolved since the last episode we did with them and basically go into a deep dive on Taiwan as a digital nomad destination, what can be found there and why it can be a good solution or option for any early retirees or anybody who basically wants to work as a digital nomad. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta, and Matthias. Hello, everybody. This is another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast, and today I've got Mr. Nomad Numbers with me. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Alvar. It's nice to be back on your show. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while and quite an eventful period uh, in between. So a couple of weeks ago, I came by, you know, another newsletter of the Nomad Numbers blog. And I was just thinking, okay, it's just time to get them back in again for an update to see where they are at. Because Mrs. and Mr. Nomad Numbers, um, they're actually going through a very interesting journey. They travel the world as digital nomads and basically... They ended up in a situation where they suddenly had to pivot, change all their plans uh, while traveling, while slow traveling around the globe and make choices, um, you know, not on the spot, but very quickly. And we, and especially also the uh, episode we did with Joshua from uh, The Art of Money, say, thinking we had to pivot his entire career around basically kind of on the spot overnight. I found it very interesting to discuss people um, and situations where you know, you are uh, trying to aim uh, to FI or you are FI and, you know, you suddenly got to change everything up and it's not a structured plan. You don't have a choice on the spits and it takes a certain kind of mindset and flexibility to deal with that. And as we'll find out very quickly, um, Mr. Nomad Numbers and Mrs. Nomad Numbers are very good at that. But before uh, I keep going on this one, uh, Mr. Nomad Numbers, can you maybe give the audience uh, that hasn't listened to the uh, last episode with yourself a quick rundown of where you guys are about, and yeah, so do they have an idea who they are listening to? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we are a couple in our mid-30s. We decided to start to travel the world full-time in 2018. And since then, we've visited about 20-plus locations. And right now, we are currently living in Taiwan. Excellent. And before you guys started traveling, what did you do? How, how did you get to FI? Yeah, so before we started traveling, we were, so I was working as a software engineer uh, in San Francisco. So I grew up in France. I moved there 2008, worked in uh, the tech industry for about 10 years, so from 2008, 2018. Um, during that time, I uh, saved a lot of money that I was primarily investing into the stock market, which has grown significantly to a point when by 2016-2017, recently after I've met who became my wife, um, we realized that, yeah, we've saved enough, we could retire, and since we both love traveling, we decided, hey, why not starting to travel the world right by then? So that's what we've been doing since 2018. Excellent. Um, and when we saw the drops in March, the massive drops in the stock market, did it affect you guys in any way? I can imagine it must be quite, you know, if your livelihood depends on it, and suddenly it drops by 30%. Yeah, so I think at the time that was not our top concern. I think we were uh, in Indonesia at that time. Um, we were planning to go to Japan. So I think our most concern was how do we, what do we do to get out of Indonesia? We didn't really feel safe to stay in the beautiful island of Bali because 
the healthcare and we did not really know what to expect from the government. Most of people there were total the denial of the virus. So that was kind of our concern. The financial markets, I think this is a big chunk of our investment. We also have uh, some real estate as we shared with you guys during the first episode. Yeah, we were not really too worried uh, because we were having, um, we have a good um, emergency fund. So that was a good peace of mind. And uh, yeah, and now the drop has been totally recovered. So it uh, looks like we are back, if not higher to where we started at the beginning of the year. Excellent. And you mentioned, so you guys obviously had plans in mind of what you wanted to do in 2020. Like, What was your initial plan for it? Like, where were, uh, were you planning to go and how long were you planning to stay there? Yeah, so our plan for 2020 was, let me take a, a step back. So when we talked to you guys, we were in Europe, we were in Portugal. And I think our plan was to get to Southeast Asia until the end of the year, which we did. Then we decided to, so we did a in the beginning of 2020, we were in Malaysia and then we went to Vietnam, Indonesia. The following stop were supposed to be Japan for a month. And then we wanted to go to Italy for a month, to go to uh, Poland for a month. And we even booked after that. Oh, yeah, it was layover stop at, to see my family in France and then Greece in September. So that was our plan. And we had to cancel um, all of that once the pandemic became global. And in March, you guys were in Indonesia, and then so obviously you, you saw the news, you saw things hitting. How did you go about, like, what was going through your guys' mind? You already mentioned you didn't feel safe at that point there. Um, how did you end up making a choice going to Taiwan? Yeah, so maybe I can even take a little bit of a step back. Um, we knew about the virus since probably January or February, because, you know, it started in China, so all of the Asian countries were kind of watching that. The first things we did, I think we were fine until um, early March. We started to cancel our plan to Japan early on because my parents were supposed to come with us. And that was the main reason we wanted to go to Japan is to um, visit the country with them. So because they were older, because they were old uh, for them, it was not really safe to fly. The connection actually had, uh, initially was supposed to go to China, to Beijing. So we did rescheduled that flight to have a direct flight. Um, but then as we get closer to um, the beginning of March, um, it did not really feel safe for them to fly. So we, took, we did cancel that flight. But at that time, things were fine. Uh, we felt pretty safe in Bali. There was not really any cases there at that time. So um, it really happened pretty quickly. I think, uh, I think there was one person, if I remember well, one person for the UK that came from somewhere else in Bali and that got diagnosed with COVID. And that's where things starting to escalate pretty quickly because there was not really significant response from the, from the country at that point. And all of the locals we talked to, the reason we didn't start feeling very safe was that the closest hospital was an hour and a half. It was close to the airport, which is an hour and a half away from where we live. And it was the only hospital. So we knew it was not going to be able to support you know, um, a very large amount of cases or of or hospitalization. And then as we talked to, you know, we were in a nice villa, as we talked to the locals that were there, uh, they were saying that we should not worry, you know, the virus is not going to come to Bali. It's a pretty warm weather there. So they, sh they didn't really feel that uh, we should worry at all. So 
we knew that was not going to gaze. I mean, the, the, the virus can just basically spread everywhere. So uh, that's where we're starting to look at our options. And we're starting basically, yeah, so we cancel off our plan. And the idea was like, okay, what, what's our option? So as nomads, we like to look at yeah, various options. So the, the default one was to go back home, was to go back to the U.S., but since the situation in the U.S. was actually not very good, we started looking at other options. And some of those were basically looking at, yeah, the country which has the lowest number of cases. So we look at places like, I think on our top list, it was Singapore, Malaysia, Australia, and Taiwan. Australia and Singapore was because Mrs. Norman Number has been living there. So she knew they have good health care and a relatively safe place to be. And Malaysia, because we just came from that country, we were there in December, January. So we knew the healthcare was also really good and it seems to be a, a good place to be. We ended up picking up Taiwan because uh, Malaysia is a big gathering, I think, a couple of weeks before uh, in Kuala Lumpur that then led them into the big outbreak, uh, the, the big outbreak they had, which put them into a um, difficult situation because um, a lot of they, they have to put a lockdown shortly after that. So we did, we did pick Taiwan. Because, yeah, the case were low. It was a direct flight from where we were. And Mrs. Norman numbers had some family there as well. So that's also a good option if we needed some type of assistance. Wow, I do really think it, if you end up in a situation like that, and just wasn't it not like emotionally really tough for you guys to like have suddenly like ripped out and have to completely adjust your plans? Or was it kind of more like a logical, okay, we just got to make it happen choice? It was really difficult because things changed from one day to the next. I remember we were, uh, we did share uh, this villa with a wonderful couple we made back in Taiwan like a few months earlier. And so we were having a really good time together. And then from one day to the next, the news hits like, oh, now, you know, that the pandemic became global. And then shortly after, it's like, hey, everybody in the US has to go back home. So it's escalated pretty quickly. And it was really, I think, every hour as we were looking Facebook groups and the news, there was always a new information about the pandemic. So that could have been stressful. I think we tried to took it, at least personally, we just tried to stay calm and just look at our options. But within a few days, I think we went from uh, going to, actually, we were going to extend our stay in uh, Indonesia for another month as we canceled Japan. So we went from that. We are very excited to really extend our stay to cancel everything and leave the country. Yeah, so it was a stressful experience, but I think we managed to go through it by remaining calm and looking at our options. I think um, we people around us, some of American around us, definitely just quickly to pack their their things and go back home. But we knew we could have we could do that anytime. So instead of rushing to the airport and leaving, we just looked at our option. And I think we did well because in the grand scheme of things, we are now in a place which is probably one of the safest in the world um, towards the pandemic. So we are really, we, we got very lucky because we didn't know about that in hindsight. But I think if we would not have done the time to do that extra bit of research and, and staying calm, we probably would have missed that big opportunity. Just when I'm listening to this, I'm just imagining you guys being either at the airport in, or in your Airbnb and kind of, okay, where can we go? Where is it safe? Uh, um, just trying to picture that one. Um, one thing uh, I was also thinking about, like obviously I know now you're covered, but in terms of healthcare, how were you guys 
covered during this period, uh, like let's say something would have hit while you were in Indonesia, would, would you have been able to go to the hospital and would it be covered then? So I think our insurance, so we, yeah, so we had an expat insurance that were covering us worldwide. So they would have covered us because I think the clause about COVID was saying that as long as you are in the country you are currently staying before COVID became a pandemic, we'll cover you. But we knew that as soon as we were going to leave Indonesia or the country we were staying in, then we won't be covered for um, any COVID-related uh, illness. So, yeah, that's something we knew. I think that's why we wanted to pick a place that has a pretty good um, healthcare system in place. And not only a cheap one, I think uh, it's more making sure that they can sustain the volume of cases in case. So when it comes to Indonesia, uh, I think Indonesia, or especially when I see Indonesia, a uh, picture mostly Bali, the island of Bali, because that's where we stayed. Bali was, I think they did pretty well in terms of cases. We thought they were going to be hit much harder than that, but they, yeah, they managed to, to handle the, the situation uh, pretty well. That being said, they only have one, one hospital in the airport. So I don't know how much of that was uh, sufficient. Gotcha. And I think the main lesson listeners can also draw from this is like how to be flexible in these situations. And I mean, the fact, you know, obviously you guys, you had good insurance, you were covered in that bit, but like finding something that works in those situations. And so obviously, you know, now you've arrived in Taiwan. Um, how are things going there for yourself? Do you have a decent quality of life? And uh, if you could uh, maybe tell a little bit about like the benefits of actually being in Taiwan against like, for example, let's say you would have been in, t in the US. Yeah, so we have a really good quality of life. Um, I would say just for the scope of the, of the pandemic, Taiwan has been uh, doing very well. The, they only have seven deaths total since the beginning. And um, I was looking at the number of cases uh, before we recorded that episode. And they have uh, just uh, 742 total cases. And with no local transmission of the disease for more than 200 days. I think we're close to 250 days. So those 300 cases are just coming from people that are entering the country. So just a sign that Taiwan is doing pretty well. So we feel really good to stay here as long as we need, because they are handling that um, pretty well. In terms of uh, the benefits, well, so we obviously have the benefits of being able to keep our nomadic lifestyle pretty much the way it was. Uh, we can still go out, eat out at restaurants go to crowded night markets, go hiking uh, with friends. So that's a really, really big benefit, in, especially in 2020. We also have ac access to a pretty affordable healthcare. I was going out for a dentist cleaning as well as a dermatologist appointment. And both of them out of pocket with no coverage uh, whatsoever um, because we decided not to renew our um, expat insurance since we didn't thought it was worth paying the price for just staying in Taiwan. And each of those exams were less than 25 USD, so around 20 euro each. And this is with no coverage. We are going to be able to apply for the uh, national healthcare due to the, the fact that we are able to get residency here. And so with that, it's going to drop to um, a few euro, I think, for each of those uh, exams. So the, yeah, the healthcare here is pretty good. Very safe, probably one of the safest places in the world as well. It's uh, actually, as an example, the, the country has a lot of... Um, so they have a lot of city bikes. So recently, I mean, we used to use those to bike around the, the capital and the, the major cities. And last time I picked one and in front of those uh, bikes, you have those caddies, you can put your bags on or groceries. So I just left a bag full of um, 
full of groceries and I totally forgot it as I parked my bike to go back home. So 10 minutes after I realized it and then I came back to the bike, to my bike and uh, everything was still there. So you see a lot of stories about that in, in Taiwan. People will go to a coffee shop, leave their laptop, go out and come back and nobody will go with and still still their belongings. So there's a lot of respect about that um, in Taiwan. So I like the safety as well. And the food is really, really good. One of the best night markets I've been uh, since we started traveling in Asia. So since like 2019, uh, the food is really good, super affordable as well. Uh, that's something we really like. The infrastructure, the public transportation is also top-notch. It's like a cheaper version of Japan. They have the they have buses, they have subway, they also have train and high-speed rail, but it just costs a fraction of the cost. Just to give you an example, uh, the subway, subway ride in the capital, so in Taipei, it's less than uh, one USD, so probably maybe half an euro for a one-way ticket. And it's uh, really of good quality. Um, the subway run pretty often um, every five to ten minutes. Yeah, so I think I just think people don't really know about Taiwan. I personally didn't know about it before we came here. Uh, there wouldn't have been the pandemic. We probably didn't have come to Taiwan for a while. So yeah, it's definitely a country that Eurogent should consider as a travel destination when they will be able to travel again. Um, it's a really, really great place with a lot of attraction, a lot of sites. They have 300 mountains. So you can imagine with that many mountains, there is an unlimited number of hikes. We've been hiking twice a week on average for the last nine months, and we haven't done any of the same hikes twice, um, even after spending extending period of time here in, in Taipei. So yeah, and I can go on and on, but overall, um, yeah, a lot of benefits um, in Taiwan from a pure, um, you know, from the healthcare, from the things to do, and from a quality of life perspective. Nice one. Everything that I've heard from my friends, uh, either going to Taipei or Taiwan for various months, uh, actually as digital nomads or for that company for uh, a period, confirms that like in terms of cost of living what would you say somebody who's like planning to stay there say three to six months what can you expect to be spending as like a single person or a couple roughly so yes in terms of cost of living it's um it's really affordable i think in average we used to spend about 1500 usd um, a month here in uh, in taiwan and the, uh, the, the accommodation account for about um, half of this. So um, I would say yeah, for, for all of the benefits I've described, it's really, really inexpensive. Uh, accommodation, yeah, you can start. So it depends on your budget and your travel style. For us, traveling as a couple and with needs uh, for a one bedroom, res- uh, spacious one bedroom with proper kitchen, which is a kitchen in in. In Asia, in general, it's pretty challenging because the food is so cheap that people tend to just eat outside. So it's kind of a luxury to have a kitchen, especially if you look for a small apartment. But that's what what we're looking for. And that costs us about a thousand USD per per month. But it can go as cheap as uh, probably half of that price if you just want like a studio uh, which has like a nice uh, modern studio with, uh, you know, just a microwave if you want to eat the food. So not really a kitchen. You will just have a sink to clean your stuff. But um, so, yeah, that can go as cheap as five or 600 a month in Taipei, which is also, by the way, the most expensive city. And then the other 50% of our budget were into the other major categories. So transportation and food being the, the biggest of the two. 
groceries. I think food itself was about, um, I would say, 300 yeah, three hundred dollars, three hundred, three hundred fifty dollars per month, and then the last big category was uh, transportation for one hundred to one hundred fifty. Um, so those were kind of the the major breakdown of our costs. So yeah, as you can say, fifteen hundred uh, a month for um, for all of the benefits I've, I've described. It's not the cheapest in Asia, but um, you know you get similar quality of life than you have in Japan for definitely a fraction of the cost. Uh, and honestly, if it's like eleven, twelve hundred euro a month for two people for that quality of life, that's extremely reasonable. And um, I've also understood from everybody I've spoken, like English is like widely spoken, right? And like most people are pretty fluent. Um, yeah. So as long as you stay within Taipei, people are um, pretty fluent with English. Once you start traveling outside of Taipei, that's where um, that's going to be much harder. I think uh, most people will speak Mandarin. Only so you will have to navigate, but um, you know with apps like Google Translate, it's relatively easy to uh, interact. One of the things that is really good here in uh, Taiwan, there is many things which are good in Taiwan, but one of the things I really liked is that when you go to a restaurant, they will give you a menu. When basically you check what you want, so you have the. It's not really a menu with pictures or, yeah, it's not a regular menu. We just have picture and price. It's a menu when you can check the box. So you have all of the options of the menu on a small sheet of paper, and then you can just check what you want and say the number of portion that you want. So you can easily use Google Translate over that page to get the things translated, and then you can order at your own time. And then you bring that sheet of paper and then bring you the food. So that's kind of convenient for foreigners, so you don't have to you know, try to talk to them, actually. And it's also why I don't think there is any service, service charge as well, because there is no really service since you are the one, you know, Making your order, bringing the order to the to the restaurant, and then bring the and then they bring you the food. Excellent. I found it interesting that you mentioned the service charge. It's one of the things that annoys me most in London that they add always like a twelve percent service charge by default on, for, yeah. on, every, on, on every bill. Um, uh, um, for some reason, not, uh, you know, tipping is totally fair, but if they do it in that way, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll not go on a rant on that one. But also, then obviously. You know, we've got that bit and we spoke before this, obviously, but on uh, something else. It's actually, I mean, I had never heard of before you uh, advised me of it, the golden visa in Taiwan. Can you maybe advise the audience or advice, explain it, where it's all about? Because you guys also only found out about it, like when you came to Taiwan, right? And then suddenly you realized this really cool visa was available. Yeah, totally. So again, as part of, um, since we're discussing about, uh, you know, what we did and how much our plan changed. We were really expecting, you know, by the time we came to Taiwan, with that. Free- so we came to Taiwan and it was still open to foreigners. Uh, I think they shut down the border two days after. So that's just another example of how quick things were evolving. Uh, when we arrived with our three months visa, we thought, oh, we could extend it for three more months. So that would give us six months. And I think the grand scheme of things in six months, you know, the situation should be much better. And then we could keep, resume our travel or at least go to another country. It turns out, as you as you know, that was not the case, and that pandemic was much more serious than at least we thought it was going to be. So, as we reach, as we get close to the six months, we didn't. I mean, the only option we had at that time, we started looking at our option months before that deadline. But the USA going back home was the only application for us. The, the, was the only option for us. We didn't foresee anything else. We were hoping to be able to go maybe to Australia or the 
some neighboring country of Taiwan, but those countries turns out to be, you know, as the summer get closer, we open maybe too quickly and had outbreaks and they have to lock things down again. So did not have our option, but we've been talking to, we are talking to people in Taiwan because a lot of people are trying to figure out what to do, trying to see if there is a way for them to stay. And that's where we stumbled about that Taiwan employment goal card, which is uh, basically a gold card, sorry, it's a, it's a visa for uh, foreign skilled workers. Sorry, so it's a visa for skilled foreigners that want to come to Taiwan and bring their skill or expertise to the country. It is, um, it's not a very non-program, and that's why we really didn't heard about it until the, almost the last moment for us. And it's still not very well promoted. And that's why I've been spending time to promote that on the blog. So then more people should be aware of because it has a, a lot of benefits. And before I go into the, the few benefits it provides, to give a bit more of background, the way people look for a job in Taiwan, it's similar to the situation in the US when you need to find a job first in Taiwan. And then once your employer um, agree for you to work here, then they can sponsor you for a visa. Unless you have that, you cannot just come to the country and look around. You can only come as a as a tourist visa, but then as a tourist, you cannot apply for a job. So that gold card was a way to um, avoid that situation and give you, assuming you qualify to their requirement, the ability to come to the country and then uh, can stay there as a resident. What's different of the gold card from like a regular ARC, which is basically your um, the visa you get when you get a job here is that you don't have to work for a company in Taiwan. So it's uh, you get an open work permit that gives you the opportunity to work either for a company in Taiwan if you want, or if you have a, if you are already working for your company, let's say in Europe, and you have the ability to work remotely, or they are okay for you to work in Taiwan. The Taiwan government is totally okay with that because what they want in the first place is for you to come to Taiwan and to come to experience that that country in the hope that then you can spread the word to your friends, your family, your network, so then more people know about Taiwan. So that's one of the benefits is that you have that open work permit that gives you that great ability, if you have a job, to keep your job while coming to Taiwan. You also get, obviously, a resident visa or, uh, for up to three years, when then you can come to Taiwan and become resident, and you have multiple entry permits. So uh, that gives you the ability, especially in this time of pandemic, because the border with Taiwan are close to foreigners, now, as a, as a resident, then you can come in and out of the country. Uh, you will have to quarantine every time you come back, but you have that ability to uh, leave the country if you want and come back. And then you have also the ability to apply for the national health insurance, which, uh, as I was mentioning, it's a really, really good health care with uh, almost no deductible. So it's, um, it's a really affordable plan. And you can also do two other things is that you can bring your spouse and your kids as well. So if you apply for the gold card, they can come with you. And you can also bring your ascendant here as well. So I'm trying to get my parents, parents, grandparents, but if they are eligible for a visa. So I'm going to try to bring my parents to come visit us in early 2021. So then we don't have to go back to Europe. And probably, I mean, right now, it's really hard to know if we could even do something with them if we go back to Europe. So those are uh, yeah the major benefits on, on that uh, gold card. And I believe there's also a few thresholds, right? In terms of like, if anybody wants to be eligible, how much they got to earn uh, in, in order for it to get it? Yeah, that's correct. So there is a couple of ways to qualify. So basically, you have to select a profession. And then if those, those professions are requirements, 
So they are looking for people working in um, architectural design, culture and arts, economy, education, finance, law, science and technology, and sports. So all of those categories, usually the way you apply is like, they want you to prove that you are, you know, in um, uh, a performer in those areas. So you have to provide justification. But when you go through the economy route, which is the what we've done, the only proof uh, that they want from you, it's a proof of income. And the threshold is 65,000 USD um, of gross income per year. That might be around 15,000. I don't know the exact conversion and, and I'll let you do the conversion in the background, but uh, so yeah, that's, if you can justify of that amount of money, then uh, for one person did in one calendar year and they look back uh, for the past three years. So as of this recording, if you've done that money in 2018 or in 2019, uh, that's enough. You just provide the, the, that proof for one given year and then that's, that's the only thing you need. So that's the, by far the way we recommend on the blog uh, if people want to apply is going to get to that route. If uh, that income threshold is too high for people, but they are excelling in those any of those fields, then they don't have there is not such um, requirements focus on the income. It's mostly on your performance. So then you will have to submit documentation, and it's much harder. Um, I mean, it's it's not as straightforward as the application process, but a few people have been applying in those categories as well. So that's that's the other option if you don't meet the the threshold requirement on income. It doesn't sound like an unreasonable threshold uh, to me and hopefully for a lot of people accomplishable. Um, so and I think many people listening to this will straight away try to compare this to Portugal in terms of like benefits and how things are set up. And I'm just curious, like in terms of tax benefits, uh, like how does it work if am I taxed on what I earn overseas if I live in Taiwan on a visa like this? So that's a, that's a good question. And we are still in the middle of finalizing our understanding on this. So they are definitely going to tax you on any income from what they call Taiwanese source. So every every income that you've made here in Taiwan is taxable. The part when we are not very sure is whether or not foreign income is is viewed from them as from Taiwan sources because you are based in Taiwan. I believe that if you are any come of income earn, either from a company based outside of Taiwan or for investment, they want you to uh, report that and you might be eligible to have to pay some tax on that. That being said, if there is a dual treaty with Taiwan and your country, then uh, you won't be taxed twice. So that should be okay for us since we are filing tax in the USA and there is no treaty between the two countries. We don't have that option. So we will have to file our tax by uh, the month of May. So I think by then I will probably have more information and I'll probably write something on the blog, but that's my current understanding uh, for Taiwan. When uh, it comes to Portugal, as we were looking into that last time, we I think we mentioned, discussed that with you guys uh, last summer, you are exempt of taxes for 10 years for anything which is uh, seen as investment or passive income. So if you make money in Portugal, that is taxable. But uh, if uh, there is exemption on foreign income, um, and I think there is no, you don't get tax on any income which is type, which is of type of investment. That's my, that was, that's my current understanding. Uh, exactly. And I just think for many people, getting to FI and using geo-arbitrage or just ways of getting to very cool countries with uh, excellent quality of life for lower costs 
it's just one of those ways of getting it done. And I will be very curious to find out later on when you guys actually do your returns, because uh, if it actually ends up being that if your country has a tax treaty with Taiwan, then or there's like a certain threshold, you're not taxed up to a certain amount. It would, would make for a very interesting location to go to, also in comparison to Portugal. And I think many of us are very interested in spending time in Asia for yeah, longer periods. So that could make for a good alternative because I think many of us, we over-glorify. I mean, Portugal, don't get me wrong, the, uh, the treaty and options, it's completely amazing, but we forget there are more places out there and opportunities and things we could look at. And the more knowledge is being spread about visas like this one uh, and others, I just hope it will make others familiar with them and consider going somewhere there too. Or maybe, uh, you know, you could even combine them up and say, I'm going to spend three years on this visa in Taiwan and then 10 years in Portugal. And then I'm going to find my next location with a good visa for myself. Anyway, that, that you start to think along those lines uh, if you're intending to use the arbitrage uh, in the end to either extend your FI or simply because uh, you want to go there. Um, that's, yeah, no, that's a good point. I think for people in Europe, especially, I think now that I am both French and American and my wife is American, we still always have to file tax in the US. That being said, people in Europe have maybe probably more benefits in the sense that if they go to countries, so for instance, we met people in Malaysia that were from the UK and most of their income were uh, pension because they were uh, they retired and they were they didn't have any income. And Malaysia doesn't tax any foreign income of that sort. So they decided to come here and they save. I don't remember how much was the tax uh, bracket um, or the, the percentage of tax on such income, but that person was saying that it's definitely significant. So they could no, they came to Malaysia and don't basically pay tax on most of their income that way. And I think Taiwan, again, with tax treaty, usually what happens is that they will give you a tax credit. So if, let's say, you pay tax in, um, in the UK already and you have to pay similar tax in Taiwan, if you told them, oh, I already give that to the UK, then if you have a balance of, let's say, 2,000 euros, uh, you can just, uh, and you pay 3,000 euros in tax already in the UK, you can just basically use that to, to don't have to pay anything else. So... Looking at those tax treaty, um, that can be a good um, a good tax optimization, uh, especially if you come from a country that you you used to pay a lot of tax from. I guess that's a journey everybody else has to go through by themselves, figure out what works. But the principle: there are many countries out there. The savings can be massive, but the most important bit, quality of life, you can get there, and just different experiences. Uh, so, I mean, definitely planning to do something along those lines myself too whenever the time comes, but to maybe slowly wrap it up from there, uh, Mr. Nomonomos, thank you so much for everything you've been sharing. Uh, I would like to ask if anybody wants to get in touch with yourself or find out more, um, where can they find you? Yeah, so we are still uh, spending time on our blog, so they can find us on our blog at nomadnumber.com. And we've developed a nice uh, newsletter, a free newsletter, when we send them basically a little tidbit about our life and some of the, all of the things we are doing. So that's probably the best way if they want to get a regular update from us. Excellent. And we'll definitely link to uh, those on the show notes um, so people can check them out. Anyway, Mr. Numbers, thank you so much for coming on to the show again. Thank you guys uh, so much as well. I'm still enjoying the show very much. And uh, yeah, looking forward to hear back from your community if they have any questions about uh, that uh, conversation. 
Everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show and see you next time. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Five Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project, to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>